Okay. Hello. Good to be here again. Um, I need to say a little prayer here, so uh, I ask you all to join me. Father, thank you for my brothers and open your word. Uh, may what I share today inspire and, and convict and embolden. May, you always, may we always give thanks for your provision and your protection in our life. So I got to get here quick before I kick off. Many, we have many wise people here, um, wise even in the sports world. And it is true that um, Kobe Bryant's NBA game, it's true that in January of six, he scored 81 points. But as many of you knew, Wilt Chamberlain far surpassed that back in 1962. The website I was looking at um, during the, you know, a lot of the media blast after Kobe Bryant was killed was talking about what they call the modern NBA era, which is a term I've heard before, but it turns out it's really defined, so I'm going to stick with Wilt. Everyone got points on that question anyway, so I don't think there's a lot of grief uh, to be shared, but I did want to uh, lift up those of you who so kindly and uh, calmly came to let me know that I was full of, uh, well, we'll just say beans. Um, soup and socks, uh, Scott mentioned and uh, so last year, I think Don said we collected over 400 cans of soup and 400 pairs of socks, which is great. Let me not, uh, let, us, let us be proud of what we did last year. Let's beat it this year, all right? So in an effort to help us beat it, well, we're going to do that, which seems to motivate uh, many of our tables around here. We're going to add some soup and socks performance here. For your table, you can get one point for each 20 pairs of socks you bring. Bring 100 pairs of socks five points. You got that? Where's Dallas? I know I just did math, so I don't want to confuse him. But okay. Uh, one point for each 20 cans of soup that you bring. And the table that gets the most socks and the table that brings the most cans of soup will get an additional one point each. Find someone at your table who's good with uh, Excel and collecting money. You guys can... Uh, uh, Find a way to get on Amazon, go to Walmart, go to Costco, get some soup and socks in here. Let's, uh, let's, let's blow away Jay and those 25th Project guys, and we thank Don for coordinating that on our behalf. Let's, uh, let's show them what men can do when we get together and put our minds and our wallets where our, where our mouths are. The deadline for contributions, Sunday, February 23rd. You bring your soup and socks here in the student cafe. Um, there will be boxes, collection points. And then table leaders on fifth at base camp, annotate your score sheets Let me know to let me know how many uh, items you guys brought. I'll make sure the points get in, and we'll announce those at a, at a subsequent uh, um, base camp. It should say jackinlaw at gmail.com, and you guys can probably figure that out. Okay. God's blessing and protection. I mean, uh, basically, uh, scripture from Ezra chapter 7 and 8 today. So when I first saw on the schedule, this was my topic, and I thought of protection. And what popped into my mind was of a photo I had seen, I don't know, like 10 years ago, um, a little Iraqi child hiding behind a U.S. soldier. This is from May of 2007. Uh, the story goes, there was a car bomb that had just been set off in Baghdad, um, you, one can, I uh, have to imagine the chaos that would ensue, as many of us would. Many of you um, have all too uh, familiar an, a knowledge of the chaos that ensues after something like this. But 
you know, how many times in my life have I felt like a scared little boy looking for some power, some protection that could keep me, that could get me out of the right? And I think this is, and, and I don't, I don't want to strain this analogy too much, but I think that's how our Father God wants us to see him. He is powerful. He is capable. He knows what's going on. He will protect us. He has our wrist at heart. He's going to help us get to the other side of the chaos. If we trust in him, if we cling to him, he will, he will guide us safely. So that's, that's kind of the image I went into uh, preparing this talk with. Uh, there's also a few questions that I just kind of you know, put these down just kind of to frame what we're looking at. Ezra was facing uh, a, a, a tough mission. He's trying to get his, his people back to Jerusalem. He needed certain things. He, there were opportunities for him to feel a little ashamed about his choices. And I think, I think to make that a little more, just remove Ezra and stick in I. What am I doing? What do I need? What am I facing? Do I feel ashamed from time to time? And does that keep me from turning to God for my help, for my protection? So, God gives Ezra a mission. He's going to take, uh, I don't think this has a, a pointer, does it? Um, if I punch, is it this one? Oh, yeah. He's going to take uh, about 5,000 people from Babylon over here, just south of where you find Baghdad, go up the Euphrates River a ways, curve over and go to Jerusalem. Now, why not go straight across, you might ask? Desert, uh, lots of desert, no water. So, yeah, been there. I hear that, right? Um, I'm sure, uh, so you can see they follow, stay close to water for as long as you can, right? So that turns out to be about 900 miles. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so we've gotten, to, we've gotten to chapter 7 of a book called Ezra, and we hadn't heard of this guy yet, right? Oh, I don't know if you, if you, if you noticed, but all through 1 through 6, there's no Ezra. What, where's it? Come on, I mean, this thing's got to get interesting here if we name the book after him. We fi- he finally shows up in chapter 7, and uh, it's a 10-book chapter, or a 10-chapter book, so he gets 7-3. Uh, Who is he? Well, he's a teacher sent by King Artaxerxes. Now, there's some debate as to whether this is Artaxerxes I or Artaxerxes II. The answer to that question uh, answers a a little bit of the timeline, but it also puts him on one side of the other of Nehemiah's journey. So there are a lot of commentators and scholars out there saying Ezra actually went after Nehemiah. And during the reign of Artaxerxes II, um, I did a li- I did a, f- a little bit of research on that. Not enough to convince me either way. Enough to introduce the topic that there's a lot that there is a lot of research on both sides of that. For further study, wish King Artaxerxes wrote a decree. All right. Um, now we say sent by King Artaxerxes. Many people might say he was allowed to go by King Artaxerxes. We it doesn't. There's not a lot in the passage to say, you know, did I go um, petition the king to go and he finally gave in or did he send me? But the scripture says sent, uh, certainly is allowed. Now the thing is, King Artaxerxes wrote a decree 
You will go to Jerusalem. You'll go with as many of your people as you wish. Uh, You'll inquire about Judah and Jerusalem. You're going to take the offerings of, of the king and his advisors to the temple. And these offerings were substantial. Uh, You're going to appoint magistrates and judges in Jerusalem, and you're going to teach any who don't know the ways of the God of Israel. This is what King Artaxerxes wrote down. Um, Furthermore, King Artaxerxes sent some messages to the uh, um, rulers of the trans-Euphrates. Give these guys what they need. Lest the wrath of Israel visit the king and his sons. This says to me, King Artaxerxes believed something about the power of this king who lived in the temple in Jerusalem. Again, not much more about it, but he was, a, he was definitely on board with Ezra's mission. And Ezra gives thanks to God in chapter 7 for the heart of the king to, to um, help him fulfill his mission. So he has to go about 900 miles. With about 5,000 people, if you count up all the women and children, I kind of um, swagged this. He does it in four months, which is an average about seven and a half miles a day. It, feels, it seems like that train of people could be half miles long. You'd probably the, the guys at the front, the guys at the back sleep where the guys at the front slept the night before. I don't know. They're not moving fast, but you can forgive them a little bit as uh, they've got women and children and animals, no doubt, and, and the territory is not so friendly, so they want to make, make sure they're staying safe. So what mission has God given you? It, it may not be to shepherd uh, 5,000 people across the trans-Euphrates, although, again, some of you may have been involved in something very similar to that. Uh, your mission may be in your house. Your mission may be at work. Your mission may be um, to... Help, uh, help your fellow travelers on I-3 stay calm. God has given you a mission. So what does Ezra do? Well, he seeks to honor God. And before he departs, uh, we read, By the Ahava Canal, I proclaim to fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. So I say to you, we honor God by trusting him to protect our work and our families. But, you know, when... When I buckle on my car this, after, this morning and drive up to Alexandria, am I going to say, you know what, I don't need a, a seatbelt. God's going to take care of me, right? Well, this is a, a situation where you could imagine Ezra not wanting to be double-minded in front of the king. Uh, you know, he, he maybe he, he walks out of the king's office just having been told what the king's going to send with him to Jerusalem, and he goes... Oh, man, I, I should have asked for a PSD. Some of those armored Suburbans, a couple of crew serve weapons on the roof. I didn't do it. What's the last thing I told the king? Our God will protect us. Ezra saw an opportunity here to put his faith in the Lord, to not, and he felt it would be shameful to go back to King Artaxerxes, having just stated the truth about God and his nature and his, protective, his protection, and say, well, but we need man to care for us here. 
Um, he made this choice. Nehemiah makes a different choice later on in, in Nehemiah. He petitions uh, for and receives um, armed uh, mounted escort to go to Jerusalem. Both men were right. Um, I think the, the, again, as I studied a couple of different writers about this, they talked about the opportunities that you can take to show someone what you believe about the power of God and how to have that walk in concert with, with, with what you've told them about the power of God and to not appear double-minded in that. Ezra also seeks to honor God with scrupulous integrity. He weighed out to them the offering of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, and his officials, and all Israel present there had donated to the house of our God. And I said to them, you as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. The silver and gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priests and the Levites and the family heads of Israel. So uh, I added up, you know, there's a, there's a list of the things that they took in the, in the passage. I didn't write it all up here, but I added up all the weights of gold and silver, and I went to Google to, 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 to see what today's uh, spot market prices are for silver and gold, and all of this stuff comes up to about $215 million. And so he's given not a small amount of valuables to take care of, to be um, responsible for, to get to the house of in Jerusalem. And, and as, as friendly as Artaxerxes may have been towards Ezra's mission, we can imagine he might not have been so pleased if he came to find out that there was any, you know, tomfoolery uh, with, the, uh, with the valuable items that he, his advisors had, had given to the mission. So Ezra was disciplined, to ensure that everybody in the mission knows that, hey, we're going to watch this stuff. We are the Lord's. This is the Lord's. You are the Lord's. Let us take good care of it. And I think we, we honor God by conducting ourselves as faith. Now, you know, kind of as I mentioned before, maybe, maybe the valuables you're given to take care of for God is not $200 million worth of valuable gold and silver items. Maybe it's a nice house, uh, vehicles, children, a wife, a job. I say everyone in this room is responsible for something of great value to the, to the Lord. Your own temple, right? We have to care for these things. We have to care for these relationships. Um, when we conduct ourselves with integrity, these things, that's what leads to those words we all uh, long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little, I will give you much. Everything we have, everything we think we have here of value is like dirty rags, right? Anything we give value to here, imagine in the Father's presence where even that wonderful relationship I hold up with my wife of the love between us is but a thumbnail sketch of the love the Father has for me. Let's treat these things with scrupulous integrity. So God blesses Ezra's mission. Um, 
there's, there's a couple dozen words here. On the, on the 12th day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. This is all that's in there about this four-month trek with some 5,000 people to go 900 miles. Like, no big deal. I'm thinking even without the attacks from bandits and robbers um, and enemies, there was probably a certain amount of, uh, of uh, fear. Of, uh, there's got to be some stories from the trip, right? Well, they're not recorded here. Um, and does every mission uh, get blessed like this? We know, you know, again, we can look at times in our lives. I prayed. I fasted. I gave thanks to God for my mission. And still, it didn't turn out well. She still passed away. He still left. Um, the job fell apart despite my best efforts. And uh, I was having lunch with a sort of agnostic, he, he, he calls himself a cultural Jew, having lunch with him last week. Great guy. I love um, talking with him. And, but his, his uh, we've heard many times and, and rings reasonable, is why is the God of all goodness, the God of all joy, the God who is all-powerful, why would a mission fail? Why would she die? Why would he leave? Why would the jo- job fall through? Um, and believe that his ways are not our ways. We believe that God works all things together for the good of those who, are love, who love him and who are called by his name. I don't have that answer for him. I don't have that answer for my cousin whose wife passed away. I, I don't know. I just know that he is good. Pray for those blessings that come afterwards. I pray for that story. I give thanks for that story of my cousin being in the post office about two months after his wife passed away in a West Texas town where most people know each other, but not everyone. He's standing in line for the post office, in the post office, and a complete stranger walks up to him and says, I just want to let you know what a blessing your wife has been to me and my family. He didn't know this person. He still doesn't know what she was talking about. He knows that his late wife, who was a wonderful woman, was a blessing to this family. Is that the, is that the moment that God had in mind? For? I don't know. But there was a blessing that attended that tragedy. Many other, many other blessings I could, I could tell you about as well, but that one was particularly poignant to me. So we believe God works all things together for the good of those who love him by his name. Then the people bless God. They give thanks. They sacrifice. They, they worship as they are taught. The exiles return from captivity, sacrifice burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls, 96 rams, 77 male lambs, 12 male goats, all as a burnt offering to the Lord. Now quite celebrate the same way as, uh, as they were commanded to, although I would be happy to fire up the grill and, and, and put on some... Uh, goat to grill up for anybody who wants to come by, but we, th- we, we do worship, we do celebrate, we do give thanks. We must do these things. We must. 
we come together on Sundays. We have a, 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 a great, uh, what I think is a great way to worship here the Lord through um, song, through the word. Um, we meet here. We talk to our friends. We talk to our brothers. Let us be about giving thanks to the Lord. Um, it, it was a, a part of what uh, Marty said on Sunday and, 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 and kind of has said before, you know, negativity is not a biblical or is not a spiritual gift. Positivity, thanks. I mean, we're all able, to, at least you fellows in this room are all able to get here on a, a, a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. in the rain. There are a lot of folks that don't have that mobility, don't have that capability, don't feel that they have that freedom to do what we're doing. So let's be thankful about that. Let's be thankful about the provision uh, God has given us. We honor God when we worship him and give thanks for his provision. In our God will give you a mission. He blesses the work that seeks to honor him by humble faith, scrupulous integrity, and God-centered worship. That is the message that I take away from these, these passages in Ezra that I think we can leave with today. Now, there's one uh, little rabbit hole I want to go down about. Uh, this was just, it just stuck in my head as I was kind of working through this. I didn't like the fact that Ezra said, I was ashamed to ask the king for help. And, and it took a little research, took a little talking with other mentors to, to get to where I told you about he be shameful to appear double-minded before the king. So I'm good with that. But it, it's the, the idea of shame kind of stuck in my head because I think as human creatures and as men, sometimes we let shame have a little too much to, you know, Kevin, I'm tired of not being able to see you over there. So I'll move this a little bit. Brightens my day to see Kevin Crouch, so I don't want to block that. Um, as men, human creatures, too often we allow shame to separate us from help. One thing I learned, it, it took getting to the army for me to learn this. I don't know why the Navy doesn't do quite as good a job. The Navy finally on the joint staff and had this 06 ab above me who, was, who would just say, it's okay. Tell me you need help. It's okay. Just let's work. It was was such a freeing experience to know to have a a superior officer who was so interested in everybody getting to be there and be helpful. What does shame do? How does the enemy use shame to penalize our shortcomings and to condemn our helplessness? Internally, in here. That's where the enemy starts out, right in here. You say, I can't do this. Or I failed. Shame reply, right. And that ought to hurt. Jesus comes along. And you say, I can't do this or I have failed. And he says, maybe. But you are loved and you have a helper. Maybe you can't do it. Maybe you did fail sin. It's okay. You're still loved. I'm here to help you through it. I'm here to get you to the other side of the chaos. Now, like most emotions and feelings and influences in our lives, there are legitimate purposes for shame. 
We talked about Ezra wanting to avoid damaging his appearance before the Lord. That's the kind of shame. That's a legitimate use of shame. It, it, it kind of creeps in sometimes before we do something, right? To prevent damage. This is when, when shame is saying, uh, you know, hello, maybe that. Harry, maybe you don't want to go out with those guys. Maybe we ought to stay on the ship tonight. A ship, Harry, is a thing, a big thing floats in the water some Navy people get on. Another legitimate purpose of shame, it repairs damage. We did it. We feel it. A legitimate activity of shame is, you know, hey, Jack, go say you're sorry. Go admit you can't do it. Go admit you're late for that deadline. I promise you they want to help you. I promise you. I'm here to help you. Repair the damage. The enemy uses shame to separate us from help. Don't don't let him do it. Don't let the enemy use shame to separate you from the help that Jesus provides for you. Else you end up like this guy. Oh, you can't see it. All right. That's Elon Musk's Tesla orbiting the earth. Actually, orbiting the sun, right? Uh, That's a great little shot. The guy wouldn't ask for directions. Wouldn't seek help. It says man refuses to ask for directions. So as I thought about being separated for help, the thing I thought of is men won't ask for directions. So I googled images of man won't ask for directions, and that's one that came up. I kind of liked it. If it takes that much explanation, Jack, it wasn't a good joke. All right. So thank you. Laugh. Good. All right. Here's some discussion questions for you. I'm not going to read them because you can. The fourth one's not on your sheet because shame came in last on this. Next week you'll hear from Michael, who I know will bring it as he always does. Thank you so much for your time. I thank you, Lord, for these men. And I, I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you for protection. You give me every day without having earned it. For those times that I turn my back on you, I apologize. And I ask that you will teach me and that next time that the situation presents itself, I will, I will be your st- steadfast servant and that I always treat with scrupulous that which you give me to take care of.